How about it, y'all? You got the Lake Seminole Ramblings Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. Hey, thanks for listening. This episode is brought to you by Country Boy Baits, made for the swamp. Check them out today at www.countryboybaits.com. This will be a special edition episode for you, as 35 years ago today, the second biggest bass in Georgia was caught. I'm going to bring you that story and a special announcement at the end. Big shout out to our patrons, Brett Bush, Miles Mosley, Mason Mosley, John Sullivan, Dole Browning, Brent Shaw, and Jamie Kochevar. Y'all, thanks so much for the support. You want to be like these guys? Head over to our website and join. And now, let's get on with the show. All right, how about it? Let's get a water conditions report. So water temp is coming down. Flint River's got its normal slide stain, 83. Spring Creek, 84. Fish Pond Drain, 84. Both those arms are clear. Chattahoochee River has its normal stain. Just depends if there's rainwater coming down. By the time you're hearing it, it might be a little muddy. 83. Uh, So water levels, they, uh, for some reason, actually kind of held steady. They were at full pool for most of the week until the 17th, and then they opened the gates, must have uh, rainwater fixing to flow in. So it has taken a pretty hard nosedive. Uh, nice taste of fall, though, this week. Uh, we came out to some morning temps uh, in the mid-60s. <laughs> Man, that was nice. You got some wind blowing, too. Uh, great fishing weather. Can't complain about that. Summer might be uh, taking a turn. I better knock on wood. All right, so I was having battery issues this week. Didn't get to do much personal fishing. Uh, but from what I'm hearing, it's still really good. Still running shad. Uh, best thing I can tell you, I've had a couple people reach out and ask me, how can I narrow some water down? Guys, best way to narrow water down when they're on shad is look for bird signs. You don't have to know anything about a body of water. You can put on a brand new body of water and be blind. Don't have a map, a graph, anything. But if you look for bird signs, it'll tell you everything you need to know. So take one from the old school, put all your electronics away, just ride around and look for bird signs. Look for comorants, look for white birds, look for herons. You'll see them. They're there for a reason. They ain't there just hanging out, right? Especially if you see 10 of them in a tree. There's a reason for that. So that should help you out. If you're having a hard time finding shad, if you're having a hard time finding fish, look for the birds, right? the best piece of advice I can give you once you own them throw what you want I was catching them on a topwater you can catch them on a jerkbait you can catch them on a fluke you can catch them on an A-rig right catch them on a spinnerbait so shad colors shad baits it's fall time right so some people are catching them on a speed worm Throw what you want. Some people are flipping in these thick mats. You can do that too. There are some brim that are still bedding, so you can target those. But if you're having a hard time finding fish and you're new or you can't figure the lake out or whatever, just look for birds. It's the easiest telltale sign on any body of water across the country, not just Seminole. 
catfishing still real good. Uh, congrats to Tim Trone and Mark Swain. Mark Swain Jr. They come in first place on a uh, catfish tournament. I believe it was on Apalachicola. 89 pounds for five fish. I mean, that is what I'm talking about right there. Congratulations, guys. These are night tournaments. These ain't no joke. They ain't, uh, you know, five to eight hour bass fishing tournaments. These are all night. Um, takes hellacious bags to win. So congratulations to those guys on the first place win. They always seem to know between them and Brian all day, they seem to know where the fish are at all times. It's pretty awesome. I need to uh, dip my toe into that. The only experience I have catching them big Appaloosas and them big blues is when they bite a spinner bait or a uh, speckled perch jig. <laughs> I've had more. I catch more catfish speck fishing than I do anything. I mean, it's just wild. I mean, every time I go fishing with Randy Weaver, we joke and say, "All right, who's gonna catch? When are you gonna catch that catfish?" And speck bite will die, and all of a sudden, there's that catfish, and then the speck bite picks back up. So. But, uh, yeah, I'd like to get on that and see these guys, they use cut bait and big ambassador reels and something else. All right, so let's get on to this fish. So some of y'all know, some of y'all don't, but uh, I was raised, uh, I was actually born in uh, Atlanta, Norcross to be specific. Uh, not downtown, not inside the perimeter, whatever. Some people call it Yankee, which is BS. Um, I was the only tailor probably since 1840 that was born outside of Decatur County. So it pains me to have to say, <laughs> yeah, I was born in Atlanta, but that's the truth. Well, the Lord blessed me with uh, living pretty much next door. There was one house that separated us, but living next door to the angler that caught Georgia's second biggest bass. His name was Ron Petzl. And uh, he was like my, my other dad. You know, I have a father, and, um, you know, I have a dad. And this guy was, uh, he taught me everything I knew about fishing. Um, I spent every day at his house. Me and his son were, we were six months apart. We were best friends growing up. And uh, I was just a member of their family, you know, so I considered him, you know, my dad, just like I considered his wife um, my second mom, you know, my other mom. And she treated me the same way. You know, she would, if I got out of line, she was the first one there to, you know, rein me back in and, and all that. So they were family. I didn't knock on the, the door when I just I just went over. You know, looking back on it now, you're like, golly, you're kind of brash. But that's just the kind of relationship we had. So um, I specifically remember getting up 3 o'clock in the morning. And this was every single weekend unless there was something else going on or school-related or it was just too cold. But every single weekend, we were fishing. And Ron was hardcore. He didn't play around. He was, uh, he was a trophy bass fisherman. He fished with shiners, and um, he didn't play at all. He had a very customized boat. Now, he was the ultimate redneck, okay? He had all kind of inventions. He had, uh, I don't know if y'all have seen the, the meme going around of the guy with a john boat um with like the uh, captain's chair like lazy boy style chair that's mounted on the front of the john boat ron did that in 1993 you know i remember him doing that 
<laughs> he did it way back before anybody could take pictures and meme all this stuff. We had the ultimate fishing boat set up, the most comfortable chairs you could ever imagine. And uh, because of this fish, we had all kind of lifetime Zepcos and lifetime shiners and line and just anything and everything you could think of, rods lining the entire basement, you know, just from head to toe, just whatever. But um, we would get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'd walk down to the cul-de-sac. We would load the boat up. While he was sitting there, you know, he made us do everything. Now, we learned at 7, 8 years old how to do all this. We were tying all the knots. We were lining all the poles. Um, and then we'd, we'd get done and we'd go to Waffle House. We'd be bobbed to Waffle House and get full, and then we'd go fishing all day long. And then we'd come back to Waffle House, stinking up like minnows and fish guts and bass and all kind of stuff, and stink that. I feel so sorry for people that was in that Waffle House. We would stink that place up to the high heavens. But anyway, this fish was caught uh, September 19th, 1987, at what is now uh, Charlie Elliott Wildlife Management and uh, Lake Marjorie. So that place has... Uh, I think it's five ponds you can put in. Um, and they're pretty big ponds, you know. Some are 100 acres or so, pretty big. And uh, they are hellacious. They're really well managed. But back then, it was called Marvin Farms. Marvin, excuse me, Marvin Farms. And um, the funny joke about it was Ron pulled the biscuit trick on them, which I don't know what the biscuit trick is. Maybe it's happened to you before in fishing, but. Ron would get uh, his wife, Kathy, to make biscuits before he went out to the uh, to Marvin Farms. And he would go up to the caretaker. Like I said, it was a private club. You had to have a membership to get in there, and they had a caretaker that lived on the property. And he would go out there and leave biscuits on the caretaker's um, doorstep and all, and the caretaker would let him in without a membership. You know, that's just... That's just how he was. You would have to know how he was. He was larger in life. He was a character. And um, that's the biscuit trick, right? So maybe it's happened to you. Maybe somebody's come up to you with a biscuit and give you biscuits. And while you're in the middle of eating a biscuit, he's asking you for where you're catching your fish at. You've just been biscuit tricked. That's what it is. Because <laughs> you can't get mad at him because he give you a biscuit, right? Yeah, but anyway, I want to read you all the article from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution about this fish and um, they interviewed Ron, and he told the story, and uh, this was published October 4th, 1987. Uh, so this would be a uh, him catching the fish on the 19th. This would have been pretty soon afterwards, and this was a 35-year anniversary. This fish was caught, second biggest fish uh, to this day. It's still number two under the world record for the biggest fish caught in Georgia. And uh, Ron was special to me, and this fish is uh, close to my heart, and uh, Ron's no longer with us. So I um, felt like honoring him by telling y'all this story. Um, so, Ron Petzl's humongous largemouth bass might have been a record, but it was not authenticated by being weighed on certified scales as required for the by the IGFA, the International Game Fish Association. A Norcross man went fishing in a central Georgia lake on a drizzly day two weeks ago and returned home that night a happy, proud angler with a humongous largemouth bass that had a mouth big enough to swallow a cantaloupe. 
Now, I'm going to pause the story and attest to this. Um, I've seen, you know, the live mount. I have the fiberglass, but the live mount, you can actually put a cantaloupe in the fish's mouth. It is that big. It is an 18-pound bass is no joke. Ron Petzl's fat bucket mouth lunker was the kind of fish which all bass anglers dream of hooking someday. The bass weighed 17 pounds, 12 ounces on a set of old produce-type uh, produce spring scales in the bed of an old cane pole fisherman's pickup truck on the lake bank shortly after 6 p.m. on September 19th. That night, at his home, Ron Petzl weighed the bass on his Berkeley Sportsman spring scales. The needle stopped a hair above 18 pounds. If the fish's weight was actually 18 pounds, this bass might have been the biggest caught in Georgia since late George W. Perry landed the all-tackle world record 22-pound, 4-ounce largemouth bass June 2, 1932, in Montgomery Lake near Lumber City, Georgia. The question could be an academic. Since a fish must be weighed on certified scales for the International Game Fish Association to consider it for a world record, Georgia also has the same requirements. Petzl, 41, said, I thought the world record was about 22.4, so I knew I didn't have a record bass. I took it to the taxidermist, and he's already started working on it. Now, quick side note about Ron. When you walked into his fishing room in the basement, like the whole basement was set up for fishing. The boat was in there. The garage was in there. It was like a garage basement type deal. But he had like 15 bass mounts in there and it was all descending order it was unbelievable there was like 18 there was a live mount and a fiberglass mount of the 18 and then there was a 16 two 15s a 14 a bunch of 10s and then like a four pound speckled perch like it was just unbelievable the amount of fish he had so of course he took it straight to the dang taxidermy he probably stopped by uh you know before the morning time and had that fish. It, you know, that fish wasn't dead very long before it went to the taxidermist. Joy rapidly turned into painful disappointment when he learned that his fish may have been a potential line class world record. The IGFA recognizes 2, 4, 8, 12, 16, and 20-pound line class world records for largemouth bass. The 20-pound line class world record weighed 17 pounds, 12 ounces, and was landed by John Faircloth July 11, 1986, in Lake Topahika near Kissimmee. Now, I know that I haven't said that right, so forgive me. Petzl was fishing with 20-pound test and D-line on a Zebco 808 closed face reel with a 6-foot Berkeley Bionic graphic rod. Berkeley pays an angler $1,000 for catching a world record fish on its rod or line. This revelation made Petzl feel even more ill. Petzl said, My fishing partner Gary Gilbert and I were 45 minutes late leaving the lake, and he had to rush home for a dinner party that our wives had planned. We knew we better be on time. I didn't have time to weigh the fish at the grocery store. He said the huge bass was 28 and a half inches long with nearly 26 inch girth. To keep the bass's mouth open for some Polaroid snapshots, he inserted a smoker's six-inch pipe. Gilbert said the fish's mouth was actually two inches larger, top to bottom. 
So that goes back to what I was saying. You could actually fit a cantaloupe into this fish's mouth. It's for real. Taxidermist Jack Brannock of Hiawassee, Georgia, who has already skinned the bass, had begun working with the body form and said, It was frozen when I picked it up. After it thawed out, it measured 28 inches long, and it was 22 and a half inches around. It changes a little when frozen and thawed. The girth depends on how you lay it out, too. If full of eggs in the spring, that fish would have been even bigger whopper. This will be the biggest bass I've ever mounted. Petzl declined to identify the lake's name or location. He said it was a private lake, less than two hours drive from his home. He estimated the lake covers 30 or 40 acres and maybe 30 years old. Heavy fishing line is necessary because of the large number of stumps and fallen trees. In the spring and summer, Petzl and Gilbert caught bass weighing up to 12 and a half pounds in this lake. In one day, their 20-pound Andy line was broken six times, and Gilbert said a huge fish broke his graphite rod in half. Now, y'all, this is no joke. I've been to this lake. I've fished it religiously. I have videos on my Mr. Bass YouTube where I've caught a bunch of fives, a bunch of eights, but I hooked into a fish one day that was like hooking into a brick wall. And it broke my 17-pound line like it was nothing. And I'm not talking about Mickey Mouse 17. I'm talking about some cigar and Vizex, some good stuff. So I can attest to this. This isn't just, you know, fisherman's exaggeration. This this lake here, and you can go fish it today. But this lake, is it's, it's still in there. That's for sure. The day Petzl hooked his giant bass, he and Gilbert caught several largemouth weighing three or four pounds while fishing with big shiners on two watt hooks. His big bass struck around 6 p.m. on the hot, overcast, occasionally drizzy day. The cork bobbed a couple times and eased off on the surface, Petzl said. Then it began to submarine. I let the fish run about 15 feet and have time to swallow the shiner, and then I set the hook hard. Then it was hell on the end of the string. At first, I thought it may be a big catfish. It was like hooking a moving log. At first, she went down and then went straight out, realizing she was hooked. She came out of the water, all except her tail, and shook her huge head. Gary put down his fishing rod and grabbed the net. The bass's eyes were big as half dollars. Nearly eight minutes later, she broke, she broke water again. I regained some line. The sound of that Zebco 808's drag was sweet music. I was praying that line wouldn't break. My adrenaline was flowing so hard. It was so frightening to see a bass jump that, that so big you could put your head in her mouth. After a suspenseful fight lasting almost 15 minutes, Gilbert netted the fat old bass and put her in the boat. Both men were shaking so hard. They were shaking like autumn leaves. Gary put his feet on the bass because she was flopping around and I didn't want her to jump back out of the boat, Petzl said. I grabbed the bass with both hands and we decided to head for the bank. An elderly man fishing from the bank with a cane pole had watched the battle with the fish and he offered to weigh it on some old scales, such as those used for produce, in the bed of his pickup. We put the fish on his scales and backed off, Petzl said. The scales read 17 pounds, 12 ounces. The man said his scales were off a little. He said, fellas, you've got yourself an 18-pound bass. 
I was not aware then that there were line class world records. So, again, I'm going to pause. So, after this incident, we were growing up. Ron hammered it into our heads. If you catch a fish that you think is any kind of record, carry it to the grocery store or somewhere that has certified scales and get it weighed with a receipt or call the DNR. And he learned his lesson the hard way, so I try to pass that on to everybody. If you catch a fish that you think is a state record, always get the weight certified, right? Gilbert said, Ron's in the lead now with a bigger bass than mine, but we're under the impression there's a much bigger bass in that body of water. Petzl, an Atlanta native who has enjoyed fishing since his youth when he went fishing with his father, Norman F. Petzl, to Georgia lakes and streams, said the best live baits for Lunker-class bass in the unidentified lake are big shiners, spring lizards, and frogs. Productive artificial baits include big-bladed spinner baits and plastic worms. He and his fishing partner concluded from this year's fishing experiences that it usually takes a big bait to catch a big bass. Now, keep in mind, y'all, this was 1987, so there wasn't much. There was no internet. There was no any of this. So, you know, keep that in mind when you're hearing it. Well, like, Chris, no crap. Of course it takes a big bait to catch a big bass. Well, this was a long time ago, right? Uh, Since World War II, very many big bass have been caught in Georgia lakes and rivers. Numerous trophy fish were taken home and eaten without the angler telling anyone except family members and close friends who were sworn to secrecy. The heaviest Georgia bass since Perry's world record may have been the 17-pound, 9-ounce largemouth that Emery Donahue caught December 19, 1965, while trolling a frog-colored... Huh. Frog-colored what? Okay, yeah, the article just leaves that out. That's very odd. Sorry. While trolling a frog-colored lure. Okay, sure. In Lake Sydney Lanier. Uh, David R. Presley formerly held the 16-pound line-class world record for his 16-pound, 12-ounce largemouth, landed in Lake Chattoog March 27, 1976. The former record holder in the 12-pound line-class is Greg V. Reimer, who boated a 16-pound, 9-ounce largemouth in Lake Alatoona, August 1st, 1982. Hmm. You ain't catching no 16—you ain't catching a 6-pound largemouth in Lake Alatoona now. You know, which makes me think, you ain't seeing many big fish be caught nowadays. Could it possibly be that all of this live scope and radar and sonar and all of this that we have is spooking all of these giant fish from these areas? so since the 1960s several 16 pound bass have been caught in small lakes near college park madison bainbridge valdosta and tifton numerous 10 to 13 pound bass have been hooked into major impoundments in the 1970s and the 1980s an 18 pound bass was found dead several years ago in one of the patrick lakes near tifton ben patrick caught a 15 and a half pounder in 1972 and a 16-pounder was landed by a man a few years ago. Now, that's the article, y'all. There's another one from uh, GON. And there's a few other sources, but as of today, it still stands as the uh, number two 
least on the list, if you were to look up the list, it is the number two biggest largemouth in the state. And it is, it's an unbelievable fish. I, I have the uh, replica mount on my wall next to my 10-pound Lake Seminole fish that I caught when I was 17. And uh, multiple people have looked at my 10-pounder and said, man, that's a nice five-pounder when they see it next to that 18. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a 10 next to an 18. I wouldn't mount no five-pound fish. But, uh, but yeah, unfortunately, Ron has passed away, and uh, he left us in 2006. He was a phenom fisherman. He taught me everything I know, um, at least about, you know, the basics of fishing and how fish, you know, thinks and stuff like that, at least until, um, you know, Randy Weaver took over and, and taught me at least about um, kind of sharpened everything up, more about artificial fishing and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's an unbelievable fish. It's, it was um, when I caught my 10-pounder, you know, he uh, just a character. You know, he laughed and he said, yeah, you'll never catch that 18, though. So I always had kind of in the back of my mind a kind of pursuit of an 18. That's just how I I, I would rather uh, – I'd rather go after big fish than um, tournament fish. That's just one of my things. I like tournament fishing, um, but I would rather uh, pursue some big fish. That's kind of what I do when I go out looking for fish. Uh, I'm looking for the big girls when I go out. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, I just wanted to bring that that story to y'all. I think it's a it's an awesome story. Uh, he was larger in life, and because of that, we because of that fish, we got all kind of sponsorships. And um, every year, Zepco would send us some stuff, and uh, we had unlimited bait. You know, we'd go to Jim Anderson Bait Distributors and pull up to the actual place where all the minnows were kept in the concrete tanks and the ceiling hanging aerators and all this stuff, and just get as many as we possibly wanted to. And um, you know, I was real blessed to have that opportunity, and um, was kind of blessed to have them you know, take me in as, uh, kind of their extra son. I mean, that was, that was really nice of them. So, um, but yeah, uh, that leads me into, um, the special announcement. You know, I talked about earlier about how we went to Waffle House, um, growing up and it was always, always part of my fishing. And, um, uh, you know, later on into high school, we, um, just always were there. It was just a place where we could go hang out um this was back when uh you could smoke cigarettes in the restaurants so we would go in there and after school and you know smoke cigarettes and then if our parents were like where'd you get you know why do you smell like cigarettes you'd be like oh it's a waffle house you know everybody smokes inside so you know it's just a special place it's always open everybody loves it and um so anyway i got an email um, from somebody pretty high up in Waffle House and uh, was talking about, you know, partnering up with us. Um, he listens to the podcast and spoke highly of it. And um, long story short, we are officially partnered with Waffle House. So Waffle House is now our big corporate sponsor. I am beyond ecstatic. I mean, it's still just even saying this is like, wow, you know, Waffle House. So, yeah, that's the big news. It's unreal. Um, 
So stay tuned. I, I don't even know what to say. There, there's a lot of uh, working details that are going to come out. This is just a, uh, you know, we just kind of, you know, shook hands on the deal made it official and all and then uh so you'll start to see a lot more stuff uh coming with waffle house and i did mention to him like hey look we need a waffle house you know i mean i don't even know if the waddle house is still around but like can we get a waffle house please i need an all-star breakfast bad but anyway enough with the rambling thank you to waffle house for sponsoring me thank you to all my other sponsors uh, Country Boy Baits, Nichols Lures, LSO, Addie's Campground and Marina. You guys are awesome. And uh, we are looking for um, any other companies that would like to advertise with the Lake Seminole Ramblings. Just go ahead and reach out to us, lakeseminoleramblings at gmail.com. We'll get right back with you. And uh, appreciate y'all listening. Head over to our website, lakeseminoleramblings.com. You'd like some merchandise or waypoints or want to get in on the Patreon? We have, uh, I believe I have a couple open tiers. Uh, but anyway, appreciate y'all listening. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Lake Seminole Ramblers podcast. I'm your host, Chris Taylor. Y'all, thanks so much for listening. This episode was brought to you by Country Boy Baits, made for the swamp. Y'all, these are the baddest soft plastic baits I've ever used in my bad I mean awesome right they got a crazy smell to them and they will catch anything that swims in that body of water that you fishing on don't matter what it is right give them a chance I promise you they're awesome anyway appreciate all of y'all for listening appreciate all my patrons we're looking for sponsorships well check us out lakeseminolerambles.com send us an email appreciate y'all see you next time